but not so much along the lines of the costs, but with some of the motivational dynamics uh, involved in servanthood within the framework of the kingdom of God. If you remember last week, I stated that both greatness and leadership in the kingdom are evaluated on the basis of servanthood. So let's flip the, the statement over. We can say it this way. The pursuit of servanthood produces great leadership by kingdom standards. But the pursuit of greatness or leadership does not necessarily produce a servant's heart. We touched on some of the following scripture last week, and you may remember Jesus' statement when you hear it, but I wanted to give you a full context of what was happening that led to the statement. This is in Matthew 20, verse 17. And Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, and he took 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Now, I have always been amazed at this initial response. I've never figured it out, but just continues to amaze me. Jesus finishes that statement and says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. He said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at the right hand and one at your left hand in the kingdom. How do you connect the dots to that? You know, just can't, can't quite connect with that. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. Now, just in case you've ever come to the conclusion that the church has fallen so far away from being so perfect at the beginning, just consider the dynamics you just heard. Here we've got power plays going on. You know, uh, we've got indignation. We've got anger. We've got conflict within the discipleship itself. So... Things haven't changed all that much over the last 2,000 years, so you're in good company. So when he heard it, they were indignant in the two brothers, and Jesus called them to him, and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I, I want to remind you, and I mentioned this in a particular context last week, of the context that Jesus is speaking in about 
Gentile authority. I was reading in Josephus this past week, and he gives an account where there was a, a semblance of a rebellion forming around Jerusalem, and the 10th Roman Legion came in. They rounded up 100,000 Jewish men and crucified them in a line from the road from Jerusalem down to Caesarea Maritima. 100,000 men nailed to crosses, covered in tar pitch, and lit them on fire to light the road at night. So when Jesus is saying the Gentiles exercise authority, this is what the hearers of that understood to mean the exercise of Gentile authority. They were not living in a free, democratic, 21st century America. So next time you want to complain about liberalism or some other mundane thing, just remember that you won't be lit up as a torch tonight. You have the freedom to continue to worship Jesus. We talked about serving God, but this phrase can be a little bit nebulous. Serving God means loving and serving who? Others, right? Each other. So having the heart of a servant is incredibly important. God shaped us, shaped us for service, not for self-centeredness. Without a servant's heart, we are tempted to misuse our gifts and abilities for personal gain, positional advantage, or as an excuse to exempt ourselves from meeting the needs of others. Our servant's heart will reveal our depth of maturity because God's measure of maturity is our willingness to serve. And God will often test our hearts by asking us to serve in ways that we're not used to, and most often in ways that we don't like. Hmm. I'll let you finish with your self-comments. <laughs> yeah, it's so true, isn't it? It is possible to serve in the church for a lifetime without ever being a servant. This is because to be a servant, you must have a servant's heart. So how can you know if you have the heart of a servant? I'm going to, over the next two weeks, give us six points to look at just to help us in self-evaluation, a means of looking at your own life, your own responses, and to evaluate whether you're serving out of workspace need to be recognized or a true servant's heart. The first is servants make themselves available. Second Timothy 2.4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. His aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Servants don't fill up their time with other pursuits that could limit their availability. We can say in general that servants make themselves available to their masters. They want to be ready to jump into service when called on, like a soldier is always ready, even ready if need be at 2 a.m. in the morning if he's called to serve. If you only serve when it's convenient for you or when it's doing only the things you like to do, that's not a servant's heart. Real servants 
do what's needed, even when it's inconvenient. So I want you to ask, want you to ask yourself this question, and you don't have to verbally answer it, just answer it within yourself. Are you available to God at any time? Are you available to God at any time? Just answer that internally. Can he mess with your plans without you becoming resentful? <laughs> he can mess with your plans, but that isn't the issue. The issue is without you becoming resentful. Being a servant means giving up the right to control your schedule and allowing God to interrupt it whenever he needs to, and more importantly, recognizing he can use whoever, now notice I said whoever rather than whatever, when he wants to. Because most of the time, he uses people to interrupt our lives. If you will remind yourself at the start of every day that you are God's servant, interruptions won't frustrate you as much. Because your agenda will be whatever God wants to bring into your life. Remember, all your time, every moment belongs to God. He can stop your clock whenever he wants, right? Mm -hmm. It is all right to have plans, but it is God who orchestrates our steps. So be ready and willing for God to take the lead. That's really what he wants. He wants to take the lead. Servants see interruptions as divine appointments for ministry and are happy for the opportunity to practice serving. Philippians 2.5 says this, Have this mind in you. This is the way you ought to think. Which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Number two, servants do every task with equal dedication. Colossians 3.22, bond servants obey in everything those who are earthly masters, not by way of eye service or people-pleasing, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You are serving the Lord Christ. Anytime you do a work of service, you are serving the Lord because you belong to him. Whatever they do, they do it with all their heart. The size of the task is irrelevant. The only issue is, does it need to be done? You can never arrive at a place in life where you're too important to help with menial tasks. If Jesus didn't, then we cannot. God will never exempt you from the mundane. It's a vital part of your character building. Galatians 6.2. This is out of the New Living Translation. I really like this. Share each other's burdens 
and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. Now, here's the, here's the punchline. You are not that important. <laughs> Wake up, call. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Remind me of that line you got last week. Comparison is the thief of joy. That's a direct quote from Katrina last week out of her sermon. Comparison, comparing yourself with others will rob you of your joy. Mm, good line, huh? It is in these small services that we grow like Christ. Jesus specialized in menial tasks that everyone else tried to avoid, like washing feet, helping children, fixing breakfast, and serving lepers. Mm. Nothing was beneath him because he came to serve. It wasn't in spite of his greatness that he did these things, but because of his greatness. And he expects us to follow his example. John 13, 12, after Jesus had washed his disciples' feet and had put on his outer garments, he sat down again. Then he said, do you understand what I have done? You call me your teacher and Lord, and you should, because that is who I am. And if your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you should do the same for each other. I have set the example, and you should do for each other exactly what I have done for you. That is huge. That is huge. If we're not willing to do the menial things, the small unseen things, we do not have a servant's heart. Small tasks show a big heart. Your servant's heart is revealed in little acts that others don't think of doing. Here's an example from Acts 28.3. Paul gathered brushwood for a fire to warm everyone after a shipwreck. Right? He was just as exhausted as everyone else was. He had gone through everything everyone else had gone through. And yet when he landed in safety on the shore, the first thing he does is begin to serve those who had been rescued with him. No task is beneath you when you have a servant's heart. Great opportunities often disguise themselves in small tasks. The little things in life determine the big things. Don't look for great tasks to do for God. Just do the not-so-great stuff, and God will assign you whatever he wants you to do. Before attempting the extraordinary, try serving in the ordinary. There will always be more people willing to do great things for God than there are people willing to do the little things. And it is God who will promote you when you can do the small things willingly, when you can do the small things, he can trust you with more. Matthew twenty-five, twenty-one. Jesus is speaking and he says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over how much? A little. I will set you over how much? Much. Enter into 
the joy of your master. Wow, that is awesome. Servants pay attention to needs. I would like to take a moment to honor Bob Lavoy today because I don't know anyone uh, who fits this descriptive quite like Bob. I can remember one time we had um, set up an appointment to do something, some kind of project. Bob showed up late. When he showed up, he said, oh, I'm sorry I'm late, but I was driving home up 106 or wherever it was, and someone was broke, broke down. They had a flat. They didn't have a spare, so I had to take the flat and go and get it fixed and changed and bring it back and put it on, so that's why I'm late. You know, just driving home, he saw the need. Then last summer, how many of you came to the baptism and picnic? Bob didn't. Because on his way to the picnic, he saw Franny, you know, little Franny, and she had had surgery, and she fell, and her surgery was bleeding. So Bob took her to the hospital. He called me. He says, oh, I'm up at the hospital in the emergency room with Franny, and I'll be along as soon as I can. So as soon as he could, was like 11 o'clock that night, he called me back to say, oh, I'm just taking Franny home. Do you think it's all right if I take her home? <laughs> You've been there all day with us? Yeah, I didn't want to leave her there. You know, I mean, no one knew Bob was doing this except me and the host of heaven who were really enjoying the master's joy that Bob was getting. Bob will be uh, being reordained the first of the year to reinstitute our diaconate and will be installed as the head deacon over this church uh, come January and form, hopefully, to impart that same servant's heart to other men and women in the, in the body. I want to honor you today, Bob. Thank you for your service. So servants are always on the lookout for ways to help others and always sensitive to others' cries. When they see a need, they seize the moment to meet it. Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary of doing good. And believe me, you can grow weary. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. When God puts someone in need right in front of you, he has given you the opportunity to grow in servanthood. Opportunity comes and it goes. We can soon lose it if we don't seize it. How many of you ever had this experience? Maybe you're in Walmart or something and you see someone that you know they need prayer and you go through that little wrestling in your head, oh, should I I go, no, I'm not going to do it. Then they just move on, you know. And you, oh, dang, I should have gone and prayed for them. Oh, Lord, if you just bring them around the other aisle, you know. And you go through this whole, you got to seize the moment. You got to seize the moment. When he presents opportunity, go for it. We miss many occasions for serving because we lack sensitivity and spontaneity. There are great opportunities to serve, 
but they never last long enough. They pass away quickly, sometimes never to return. So let us do good to everyone. May only get one chance to serve that person, so take advantage of the moment. Think about the past week. Were there any opportunities to help that you did not seize? Could you have helped someone out this week and you didn't? Could you have spoken a kind word to someone and you didn't? Could you have prayed with someone and didn't? Offered a ride. I can, I can remember on a number of occasions, you know, uh, being talking to street people, and they'll say, oh, I really like that shirt. Oh, I did it to Tony. Not that Tony's a street person. I took my shirt off. Here you go. It's an opportunity. I may never see that person again. Servants do their best with what they have. Servants don't make excuses. They don't procrastinate or wait for better circumstances. Servants never say, one of these days or when the time is right. They just do what needs to be done. Listen to Ecclesiastes 11.4 in the NIV. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. So translated into everyday English, it says this. If you wait for perfect conditions, <laughs> you never get anything done, right? <laughs> God expects you to do what you can with what you have wherever you are. Less than perfect service is always better than the best intention. One reason many people never serve is that they fear that they are not good enough to serve. They have believed the lie that serving God is only for the superstars. Oh, we haven't done that course, they say. We aren't as good at it as so-and-so. And you may have heard it said, if it can't be done with excellence, don't do it. Well, Jesus never said that. The truth is, almost everything we do is done poorly when we first start doing it. Right? How many of you remember your first week on a new job? Right? And it's like crazy. How am I ever going to get this done? And two weeks later, you just doing it, you know? It's the same way in the kingdom. You may not have much, but offer what you have. Grow with it as you do it, whether it is praying for the sick, leading in prayer, preaching, or whatever. As God's call is there, his hand is there. If he's calling you to do something, he will equip you to accomplish it. You know what's in between those two lines? Faith. Faith. So what do you, what do we have available right now, right in this moment? What can we seize upon? Let's take a look. We've gathered together in Jesus' name. So we have his presence here, right? Didn't he say wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of, him, of them. So right now in our company, Jesus is in this room with us. We've entered into praise and worship, which is the atmosphere of heaven. God inhabits the praises of his people. 
So we've created an atmosphere where the kingdom of God has rule and reign, and the king is present with us. We've been into the word of God, so we know his will is for us to serve one another and any given opportunity to do that. And as born-again believers, you have Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. Who is that hope for? Is it just for you? It's to give away, right? In the, how many times have you said, watching the news, man, it seems so hopeless. It seems so hopeless. The world is getting more and more hopeless. Well, guess what? We're all full of hope. If Christ is in you, you are full of hope. You have something to give out to a hopeless world. So let me ask this. You've already seen one. Do we have any needs in this room this morning? Anyone have any needs? Just let me see your hands. Okay, so all of you with your hands up, I want you to stand up. Okay, so there's all the needs. Now the rest of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ordain you right now as servants of God. So get up out of your seats, gather around these people with needs, find out what their needs are, and serve them in prayer and ministry, and then we're going to meet together at the Lord's table for communion. Go ahead. Take a few minutes and pray for one another, serve one another with the grace and the glory of Jesus Christ.